Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There are moments in our life when we are shaped through adversity and challenge, propelled through turbulent change. We're presented with an opportunity to take wings and soar from a dark place to one of light. I'm Leslie Salem, founder of Over the Bloody Moon, on a mission to remove the muddle from menopause. In our podcast, we meet women from all walks of life and experience to share their tales and tools of positive transformation. Come join us for the flight. everyone welcome to today's show which is all about positive parenting and I'm joined today with Elaine Halligan who is owner of The Parent Practice. Uh, Elaine has written a book called My Child's Different and we're going to talk about that Um, and she's going to share with us her own lived experience of how she got into the world of becoming a parenting coach and now uh, works with organizations and individuals all around the world. So welcome, Elaine. Lovely to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for inviting me. And I love your intro because the menopause is just such a muddle. And for me, it was a complete muddle getting through the menopause and I'm still in it. <laughs> oh, well, we want to, we want to hear your, we want to hear your story and we're going to come back to that. But firstly, just tell us a little bit about the parent practice and and what you do sure so the parent practice is an organization we're based in london and we help parents have harmony at home i I don't know any parent who doesn't want harmony at home and um I, i came into this work really challenged and in the early days oh my goodness i did everything that just didn't bring out the best in my children and I don't know whether your listeners will resonate with this but I nagged my kids yeah I repeated instructions I reminded them I kind of cajoled them I bribed them in order to get them to do what I wanted them to do um I threatened I I punished and I have to be honest with you that I found parenting one of the most challenging and I think exhausting and bewildering jobs that ever done and I, and I had to seek some help uh, and and the story is I sought some help from a parenting organization and eventually ended up being a parent coach and 12 years on I, I now own and run the parent practice and, and I think those early days were just bewildering for me I, I don't know I just expected um that parenting was the most natural instinctive thing in the world but it just mm. wasn't so the parent practice um was born out of me needing to find practical, pragmatic solutions to managing a challenging child. And so today at The Parent Practice, what we offer is a whole range of coaching, online courses, just to help families have more harmony at home, be positive with their kids, be consistent, but also know how to be firm. And I think that pragmatic parenting piece, gosh, I think we have really failed in society by not delivering that. You go to NCT classes, but we just don't go running to our positive parenting class. 
It's so true. Um, you know, we, we just think this kind of like the baby's going to pop out and somehow we'll be able to go with the gut. Um, so I can totally resonate with everything you've, you've just said um, in that world of parenting. And actually the story is that, that, that our little boy at the age of three got into so much trouble. And I kind of thought, how could a three-year-old get into trouble at school? But at nursery school, I'd be met at the gate with a kind of report card of all the all the behaviours that they classified as naughty. Mm. And what's really interesting is at the age of three, I sensed something was just a little different about Sam. But I just sensed, Leslie, that something wasn't quite right. Mm. And, and the story is that by the age of seven, my little boy had been expelled from three schools in so mm. many years. And, and Sam got up to all sorts of, I'm going to say misbehaviour, and now I can see with complete clarity what was happening. And, and I think this is a really interesting topic because I didn't recognise that my son was suffering from anxiety because he wasn't a traditional learner. He was neurodiverse. So Sam became known as the alphabet kid and he just got loads of what we call TLAs, three-letter abbreviations. And it was like, he's ASC, he's ADHD, he's PDA, he's ODD. And it was just like, oh my God, stop, stop, stop. I trusted too many of the experts. And all these labels, I just thought, no, 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 no. What I do need to understand is, is, is Sam's characteristics and his traits. And I need to understand what his educational needs are. And this idea that he has all these labels, no, I just sensed that we had a young boy who was like a rock covered in mud. But I just sensed if I got rid of that mud, I'd found something spectacular underneath. Mm. And indeed, we, we found a diamond. And the parent practice work, which is all about positive parenting, it's all about how to connect. But before you can even connect with your kids, you kind of need to understand their temperament. But the, the, the key for all of us, I think, as mums and dads, it is to kind of make sure that we kind of bring out the best in our children and they can't be good at everything. And so Sam's issue, main issue today, I would say is literacy. Not a problem because we live in a world where there's so much technology now. So he actually has never written an exam in his life. Can you believe that? Mm. He sat his exams with a reader and a scribe. Yes, yeah. Oh. And um, he has rarely read a book, but he listens to books. And actually, despite all the kind of weaknesses, he knows where his strengths lie. And, you know, that's really important as well, this neurodiversity in terms of understanding uh, the, you know, us as individuals um, and every child, every adult, you know, learns in, in different ways. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that's a wonderful story that you've shared also about, you know, not not giving up. Um, it could have been, I imagine, at times when he would have, you know, been expelled even for the first time that you kind of, you know, wonder where that's going. So um, so it's a great story to hear that with investment um, of your time and investment into Sam and you, you've helped him turn his life around or not even turn it around, just become the, the, the boy and the man that he is today. My husband and I thought that Sam was going to end up in a, a young offenders institution. And mm. I, I don't exaggerate when I say that. He was literally written off in society age seven. Mm. And he eventually finished school as head boy. He eventually went to university, never wrote an exam, used a reader and a scribe. How, how amazing is that to sit in a lecture and not take any notes? 
but 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 be be able to absorb the information. And now he runs four businesses all involved in classic cars, and mm-hmm. he is living life to the full. And I think most parents actually, we don't give up on our children. Mm-hmm. We find it incredibly challenging, and there are times where we just want it all to go away. Yeah, but actually, most parents don't give up. Let's just talk about our community. Over the bloody means community tend to be women that have got teens at home uh, or maybe that they've got older children that have left the nest. But for those that have got teens at home, we've got this double whammy of dealing with our our own hormones because of menopause and, and that transition and the raging hormones of our teen sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. So it would be brilliant to get some advice from you about how to navigate a very turbulent, um, disharmonious experience at home. I think many years ago, we must have said it was the hormones that were raging. Hormones play a part in teenage behaviour. But actually, what we know now is it's more due to brain development. Mm-hmm. Just at that time where you're going through all those bodily changes and changes in just coping with day-to-day life, your children, your teenagers, tend to turn into kind of grunters. <laughs> you just think, where did that come from? If you've got three girls, it, uh, sadly, it's not just grunting. <laughs> it's a lot of noise. So it's difficult, isn't it? It's really, really challenging. And I think parents need to understand that for your teens, they're going through an incredible time of age and stage of development. Mm. That brain development means that they actually can't access this part of the brain here, which is called the prefrontal cortex. And there is some good news there, Leslie, because the prefrontal cortex doesn't stop developing until 25. So, you know, we have lots of opportunity to help those neural pathways. Mm. But what happens is they operate very much in the limbic system. So if you put your fingers between your ears, the bit in between is the amygdala or the limbic system. And so what's really curious is you can say to your girls, you know, have you, have you done your homework, honey? And they'll go, will you get off my back? <laughs> yeah. And Sounds think, familiar. Well, all I asked was, have you done your homework? And then the next thing is, you know, we'll say to them, um, honey, could you bring down your, you know, your dirty clothes to the laundry room? And, and they'll just have a go at you and you go into their room. And I don't know about your girls, Leslie, but there was always a wardrobe in the room. Yeah. But they just didn't seem to use the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And so they will start interpreting a lot of kind of, just commonplace questions or statements as quite hostile. Mm, And you mm. can think, where is that coming from? So it is a really challenging time, I think, for parents and teens because we're all going through some sort of brain development or hormonal changes, and those two just collide. So... How does one communicate in an effective way when, as a parent, you might be feeling really angry yourself and then you have an angry child? So how does one communicate and and find ways to to regulate um, in in a much more neutral way? It's a really good question. And I think self-regulation, I would say it's all about keeping calm in the moment. Actually, you can only keep calm in the moment if you know what skills to use. So actually, self-regulation, keeping calm, positive parenting skills, it's all tied up. Because if you don't know what to do in the moment and your button is pressed, you will explode like a pressure cooker. So it's really important to try and press that pause button. But I think you can only do that when you know what skills to use. I'm going to make this sound super simple and easy. 
but it's not. You need to connect before you correct behavior. Mm. And most of us get that wrong. Most of us, if our teenager is rude to us and says a swear word or is disrespectful, most of us want to kind of clamp down on that and correct the behavior and say, hey, don't you dare talk to me like that. That, That's really disrespectful. And if you're expecting a lift, yeah, down to the station, you can just forget it now because the way you talk to me is just so rude. Were you in my house yesterday? Oh, my God. I mean, I've been there. I've done it all. And when we when we kind of respond like that to our teens, what happens is connection and communication breaks. I'm going to make this sound very simple, but actually there's an art to it. You need to keep connecting. I'd like to just touch on a scenario where it might be difficult for the parents to remain calm. Sure. Because they also suffer with emotional regulation. What advice have you got when something is happening that unable to find an opportunity to connect because they themselves are in a state of heightened emotion? I would say always take 10. It's always better to exit. Making the right statement before you do or say something you'll deeply regret. Because it's so easy in the moment to just say some harsh words and they have a big impact, especially on our teenagers. So look, just be honest. If you're struggling to self-regulate, you need just to look at your teenagers and just say, look, guys, I'm not handling this very well. Uh, I'm worried that I'm going to do or say something that's going to be quite explosive. So excuse me, I am taking myself out of the situation. And I've been known to lock myself in the toilet, to literally walk out the house, to do a, a lap around the block. But what's most important is that you have some strategy for keeping calm in the moment. And that strategy will vary hugely amongst all of us. But for some of us, it's literally walking out and going for a run or a jog. For others, the deep belly breathing. And the trick about breathing is if you breathe in for four, you've got to let go for double the amount of time. And lots of people kind of get that wrong. And it needs lots of practice. So you need to find something in the moment that really helps you stay calm. And I think it's absolutely fine to model to your teenagers that actually I'm I'm, I'm struggling to handle it just now. I feel like a pressure cooker. And I, you know, if this conversation carries on, I think I'm going to explode and say something I deeply regret. Excuse me, but I'm out of here. I need to take 10. And what I say to my parents is, you can't pour from an empty cup. And for most parents, and you'll know this, Leslie, with three teenage girls, is that we often become a child rearing unit. And if we think about all the roles we've got, I don't know. We're, 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 we're a teacher. We are laundress. What else? We are cook. We are banker. We may be entertainment director. We're definitely the taxi driver. And we're also mum, someone's daughter and someone's friend. And all those roles, actually, it's impossible to do just now. And I think what COVID has highlighted is actually what our role is as parents so acutely, more than ever before. I've known this for years But I think I'm hoping the rest of kind of society are catching up that your role as a parent, and I know this is going to sound so harsh if anyone's listening to this podcast with little toddlers, but your role as a parent is to prepare for separation. Mm. Your role as a parent is to ensure your children can think and act for themselves. And your role as mum or dad is to get your children really independent and self-reliant. 
and we don't do that early enough. Mm. We kind of think it's our job to do things for our children. And, and, and actually, you know, the biblical analogy, you give a man a fish and you give him a meal, but you mm. teach him how to fish and you give him a lifetime of meals. They have to be resilient. They have to thrive. They have to cope and be adaptable and flexible. And in order for them to do that, we've got to give them the opportunity to think and act for themselves. And at times we're not very good at that because it's quicker and easier to do it ourselves. Absolutely. That key of yeah, independence and grit and being able to make mistakes and see that as a learning opportunity is essential for growth. I just want all your listeners to be aware of how they deal with that. So do, do you embrace mistakes or actually do you come down on your children like a ton of bricks? Because mm. every mistake that's made is a teachable opportunity, but it depends very much on how you deal with it. Do you see it as a learning opportunity? Or actually, when your children make mistakes, does it press your button? Um, and I think making mistakes, oh my goodness, we all make mistakes. But the most important thing is, how do we own our mistakes? And talking about our own mistakes uh, or, or own failures, you know, and shortcomings and, and what we've personally learned from that to our children is, is really helpful because it, it reduces that, that expectation and pressure um, around perfection. Mm. And, you know, we all know life is, is not perfect. The first skill of using the power of the words is I just invite all your listeners to keep looking for what your teenagers get right. They need positive affirmation. They need descriptive praise like they need nutrition. And I say that descriptive praise is nutrition for the soul. Mm. And they're at a time in their lives where they start questioning who they are. They start kind of really needing to find their tribe. And, and some teenagers struggle to find their tribe. And if their self-esteem is in, you know, at all questionable, watch out for it because it will absolutely come out in rude, disrespectful behavior and also sibling rivalry. So you need to keep noticing the positive. But that's hard. And the reason it's hard is that we all have a negativity bias. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes, but please explain. Yeah, we have something in our brain called the reticular activating system. Really fascinating piece of science. And the reticular activating system is programmed to look for what we think is important. I don't know whether you've ever had the experience if you're buying a new car, um, you know, you suddenly decide, I don't know, to get your golf e-golf e or something. You go into the streets and suddenly you're seeing e-golfs everywhere because your reticular activating system is programmed to look for evidence to support your decision or theory. And if you have a theory that, I don't know, your teenager is untidy, yeah, that she never keeps her room tidy, your reticular activating system will go into her room and you will notice all the things that confirm your statement that she's untidy. She may have opened the curtains. Her books may be in the bookshelf, but all you see is the unmade bed and the untidy floor with all her clothes strewn across it. And we'll comment on that. And every time we comment on that, she will hear criticism. Mm. When our children hear criticism, oh my goodness, it demotivates and actually, it reduces self-esteem. So the first thing we need to do is just focus on the tiny micro things they're getting right and feed their soul. 
feed their self-esteem. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's really simple. But um, in the busy day-to-day life, and when also I think in menopause, when one is out of control, mm-hmm. controlling others can sort of surface up and that can play out in communication that is corrective, exactly as you've said. I'm going to prickle at that word controlling. <laughs> it kind of, it's kind of a button pusher for me, if I can just explain it, because, you know, our job as parents is not to control, it's to be in charge. Mm-hmm. There's a real difference between being in charge as a parent and being overly controlling. And I know that, that for many parents, it's really hard for us to let go. And, and, and many suffer from what I call the perils of perfectionism. And there's no judgment in that statement, but sometimes it's really hard to let go. And we end up kind of controlling our teenagers, try and control a teenager and they will absolutely rebel. Mm. So, you know, it's about knowing the skills to be in charge and I kind of, mutually respectful way but but look Leslie if you like that skill of descriptive praise let me share with you the second Mm, communication skill and it's all about listening and I don't know whether you've got an example of a behavior one of your girls or a statement one of your girls has said that's definitely generated by feelings and emotions Mm. I don't know uh, I don't want to go to school or is there something they may have said to you recently that I can use as an example I I, I better not share in case they listen to the podcast let's make up an example (laughs) (laughs) so so let's just say you know they go oh school's school's stupid yeah, it's just what, what's the point of going to school now? You know, we're not even doing exams. It, it's just stupid. And the, and the teachers don't know how to teach on Zoom. Let's just make up that as an example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's our normal reaction to that? Well, of course, school is really important to you for the future. <laughs> so we lecture, don't we? And we go, school's really important. If you want to amount to anything, you've got to get your grades. And, you know, don't be so rude about your teachers. They're trying the hardest they can. And, um, you know, how can you say that? You loved school a few months ago. You know, what on earth has happened? So we go down this route of kind of denying their feeling, dismissing mm-hmm. it, telling them they're wrong to feel like that. We may even go down the advice route because, oh, my goodness, we're strong, wise men and women. You know, we want to give advice to our children. But every time we go down the advice route, when our children aren't ready to hear it, they will literally tune us out. So we reassure, we advise, we lecture, or we can philosophize. And I used to do a lot of that, which is, "Ah, honey, you don't want to go to school, you know. It's tough. I don't want to go to work, but sometimes we do what we don't want to do. So you just have to get on with it. Because let me tell you, that's life. (laughs) Yeah, sounds familiar. That's the philosophical response. All those responses, let me tell you, in the amygdala, the limbic system, it will be on fire. And all those responses you give will make it worse. Their brain will fill up with emotions and eventually they'll just say, what do you care? What do you know? You never listen. And you just don't get it. And then they'll storm out the room. Well, where did that come from? Well, I was just trying to help her. But actually, what we did wasn't helpful. Hmm. Because what we need to do is just name the feeling to tame it. That's what Dr. Dan Siegel says in his book, The Whole Brain Child. Name the feeling in order to tame it. So when your kid comes up to you, your teen, whatever age, you can do it on adults too, Leslie. And um, when they come up and just say, you know, I really, really don't want to go back to school. It's stupid and it's boring. You just say, yeah, I absolutely get that you're finding this time really challenging just now. Mm. I'm wondering if you're a little anxious, a bit nervous about making the transition back to school because it's going to be so different. 
And I'm wondering whether you're even worried about how well you'll have kept up with the curriculum. So, yeah, I can absolutely hear you. And what that also does is that it opens up, doesn't it, the communication, the dialogue, because they may say, yes, that's how I'm feeling, or no, I'm not, but it starts that conversation. It should do, depending on what your connection is like with your child. Mm. Sometimes it won't, and they'll just go quiet on you and walk out. That's fine, because you've knocked on the door, and it's like leaving a calling card. Mm. Say, it's okay, honey, I know you don't want to talk just now, but I'm going to call again the next day. So, so yeah, you, you may, you hope to open up a dialogue, but sometimes it doesn't happen like that. Sometimes they just go very quiet on you. And of course, if you get any of the emotions wrong, oh my God, your teenage girls will tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll be really quick to correct you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so they're the key kind of connection and communication skills. So the key is connect before you correct. Can we touch a little bit, Elaine, on your own menopause experience I think that'd be really interesting for the listeners to hear I mean how was it for you how has it been oh my goodness it's not pretty it's really not pretty uh it starts with brain fog just forgetting things like the front door keys and I think I mentioned before the dog going to the common but the worst thing actually was the hot flushes and as a speaker um pre-covid you know I was racing around London delivering corporate talks and schools talks in the evening and I'd be sweating I'm, mm. I'm going to use the word sweating, not glowing. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sugarcoat this yes. anyway. I was sweating on my face, and it's just—it's the most uncomfortable feeling. Mm. That was the worst thing for me. I mean, definitely the nighttime sweats were bad news, and I kind of went down the holistic route for a couple of years. So I cut out alcohol, cut out coffee. Uh, you know, made myself miserable really, but it didn't have a huge impact. Mm. And I really did try it for a long time, the holistic route, you know, eating well, nutritionally, um, cutting out certain foods. And and finally, I just said enough. Uh, I need to go on HRT. Mm-hmm. So I went on HRT, I think, three years ago. Mm. And I'm a big fan. I did a lot of research on it. And I think there's quite a bit of scaremongering. But, but look, that's not to judge Mm-hmm. Anyone, whatever route you take is, is the right one for you. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'd had two years of real misery. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I went on to HRT, I just found things, yeah, literally changed within days. Uh, good night's sleep, the hot flushes went, um, you know, my limbs feel well lubricated, um, my hair is shiny, my nails are strong. It was absolutely the right decision. And mm-hmm. I probably regret not doing it sooner. But it is a very complex area and there are so many different theories. And I think we just have to be really careful about some of the research that's out there. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole philosophy and reason for Over the Bloody Moon was about creating trusted evidence-based information. So women who are really busy, don't have the time, can just get the facts um, and then make their own informed choices. And as you say, um, you know, we, we all have different values and, and attitudes to how we want to manage menopause. But it's just important that we get the right information out there. Elaine, we always finish off our chats with the question, what makes you feel over the bloody moon? What makes me feel over the bloody moon? I've got to say to you, it's probably sex. <laughs> you know? Go on. We just don't spend enough time with our partners. And of course, now my children are a bit older. Yeah, it, there's nothing nicer than just getting together with your partner. 
And I think the second thing, and I know this is going to sound crazy, it's a really good lobster and chips and a bottle of fizz. <laughs> Nothing extraordinary, just the simple things and getting onto the golf course as well. So all those micro moments I think, for macro impact. Elaine, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. There's been so many nuggets that I am definitely going to go away this week and put into practice. Um, and I'm sure as well with our, our listeners, the importance of respect that you can be in charge, but still allow that space for your child to be able to, to label how they're feeling, respect their feelings, respond appropriately, show your listening are the key takeouts of, of our conversation today. So thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Wonderful. Well, listen, thank you so much, Elaine, for sharing today. Pleasure. Bye for now. 